Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. We'd like to welcome you to the 44th, can you believe it, 44th podcast of the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. We thought we'd never make 10, and here we are at 44. Um, today, we have um, a new person that you haven't seen before, but um, a new person to Santa Cruz, and we'd like to introduce you to Will Kahn. Give us a little shake there, Will, or wave, because otherwise they'll think it's me. There you are. And um, over on the other side of that uh, thing is the illustrious Mr. Hoover. So what we thought we'd hope today to do would be to get um, maybe a little welcome, Will, and give us a little background, and then Richard's got some things to say about Nam, and I know there's some exciting stuff that's coming up. So uh, let's roll. Welcome, Will. Welcome, well, thank you very much. Uh, it's absolutely a pleasure, you know, obviously coming into a such a well-established company. Um, you know, we did just come back from the NAM show and I, you know, walked around with my name badge, which says Santa Cruz Guitar Company. And um, yeah, it's a, you know, obviously the instruments are really, beautiful and i'm i'm thrilled to learn about all these different guitar models and the different woods and what makes these guitars so special but also there's a real beautiful community built around this company that you know all sorts of people oh say hi to richard or you know this there's a real you can see the light in people's eyes when they start talking about these things and so it's you know beyond just making really incredible instruments there's a you know family and community around it so it was really a joy to feel that, uh, you know, reflected in face-to-face -face at the NAMM show. Um, so a bit about my background. I, I think that um, when I was, you know, I was born in a small town called Bolinas, which is in West Marin. Um, my dad, uh, Lloyd Kahn, is a publisher of books and, and is known for, kind of was part of the pre-hippie movement of kind of going back to, uh, the earth. He did a, he used to work on um, kind of a catalog called the whole earth catalog, which a lot of people knew of. He calls it the Google before the internet, where it was this big oversized uh, booklet that just taught you everything about, you could get, um, you know, how to build a chicken coop or how to do a raised bed or, you know, on and on. And, on. Um, and so he really got into, he built the house that I was born in. I was born in 1979 out on a dirt road out, you know, in Bolinas um, in a house that my dad had built. And so this idea of doing things with your hands and, and um, special wood and things like this, that's literally what I was born into. And um, so I lived up there for 18 years and Santa Cruz has always been a real special place for me as I was getting into music and I also used to surf. It was a real obvious choice to get down here to Santa Cruz. And I haven't left. So I've been here for, I think, 26 years um, since I came down at 17 years old. And just, you know, happily have been stuck here ever since. So I, I came down here and started playing music when, you know, when I was maybe 
13, I really found Led Zeppelin and I wanted to play drums like John Bonham. And my parents said, uh, you know, here's an acoustic guitar. (laughs) You're not playing drums (laughs) when you go to college, you know, you can get your job. So, uh, I, I started playing acoustic guitar. That was really the kind of the first way I really got into music, learning cream and Credence Clearwater and Led Zeppelin, uh, songs, Beatles songs as much as I could by ear. And so that was really my introduction to my love of music was through the acoustic guitar. And um, I played in a band for many years uh, playing drum set, percussion, guitar, and bass for about 12 years full time. And then once I started, you know, I had my first child, I started working in the recording studio. And from there, I started a career in sales and marketing for an electronics company called Burl Audio based out of Santa Cruz. And what really got me going was one day going into the recording studio I was working at. And the owner of the studio was also the owner of this electronics company. And he had a picture of Robert Plant, the singer of Led Zeppelin, holding the gear that you know I was using and that he was making. And I thought, my God, I need to figure out a way to be involved with this. You know, I probably won't meet Robert Plant, which I never had, but I wanted to learn from the people recording him and and so that's what I did for 12 years we um, brought this gear all over the world and after maybe about four or five years I stopped asking all these famous engineers if they'd ever heard of this brand you know at a certain point everyone had knew what it was and it was widely accepted as really the best as a no compromise way to bring the uh, the best sound into a digital uh, recording so everything now is on computers technology has really changed but there was still something missing and so through a no compromise design not what's the going to make us the most money not what's going to be most marketable but if you just go to build something to make it be the best it can be for Robert Plant you know that's your end customer not a million kids in the basement um that was that was really what Burl stood for was making something the very best of the best so You know, coming here into Santa Cruz, it's a different world because I've been in pro audio for the last 12 years, but having, you know, seeing what goes into these instruments, having played a few of them, it feels very similar in the sense of a no compromise, you know, not how do we pull something, you know, pull the wool over someone's eyes so they buy our product, but the opposite, how do we empower someone by teaching them about what we do that's as as great as we can possibly make it so um yeah i'm really thrilled to be here um working you know with with richard has really been a treat so far and i i just i think he um is really well respected and admired out in the industry and it's really wonderful to see kind of when he when he wasn't around at the nam show and i just got to talk with people they feel part of something, you know, bigger than just <laughs> selling, you know, instruments. And so that's what really uh, feels really as enticing to me to be here. Not only are the instruments, of course, really, really great, but there's something, there's a heart behind it. You know, there's something more than just that. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. If there's any further questions you guys want to know, please let me know. But uh, really thrilled to be here. And thanks again for having me. Welcome, Will. So was there, was there a house at NAM this year? Was oh, there a, was, was there a house at NAM this year? 
Ah, uh, no. There wasn't uh, anything traditional, including the, all the landmarks between uh, like LAX or uh, Orange County Airport and the convention center were different. You know, yeah. I begin to tell you how many things have changed down there. Um, the uh, uh, whole experience was only the same once you uh, were sitting talking with an old friend and then it felt like the old days, but the format was really interesting. It was, um, uh, anybody familiar with this, there used to be uh, uh, about five big giant halls, A, B, C, D, E, uh, and uh, E was us in the basement. And this time it was just one big room. They magically brought in all the walls to make it look full. And uh, uh, they were they labeled them as A, B, and C. So in there were a lot of traditional uh, booths and so forth of vendors and instrument makers. A real absence of the giant ones. You know, I didn't see a Fender there. Um, I you know it's possible I missed some stuff, but I didn't see Gibson. Um, and then a lot of the people that uh, you would want to see didn't display products. What they had is they had these little small uh, white cubicles uh, that were, didn't even have signage on them. But uh, for you know five thousand dollars, you could rent a ten by ten and a chair and a table. Have people come in and talk to you. We passed on that. Um, <laughs> I thought that this would be just a good reconnaissance, you know, for going in and uh, uh, thinking about next April when they plan to have the winter show. Um, uh, no talk about a summer show. So uh, this is kind of a, like laying the scenario for it. But what was there was this essential uh, nutritional element that we've been missing for three years. Um, and that was the uh, human contact with people that have become really good friends over the years. And I'm, I'm sure I've made this statement before, but uh, uh, it, it's remarkable how close you can come to somebody, uh, only seeing them once a year, you know, but you do that for a few decades. And uh, the nature of the relationship is such uh, as if you were stuck in an elevator with somebody for four hours, right? You know a lot more about them than most of their friends do under those circumstances. And that's what the NAM show camaraderie was like. Uh, and I did meet some, uh, some of those, so some great, uh, you know, great old stalwarts of the industry. Uh, Dick Book, who did a, a really cool uh, line drawing, you might be familiar with, Dick was the kind of artistic director, artist relations, and uh, in, in some cases, the face of the company for Martin Guitars for many, many years, and, uh, you know, great artist. And uh, uh, Ren Ferguson uh, in the same context. And uh, Rand Smith, who's writing a book on uh, modern acoustic guitar building, happened to be there and uh, uh, want to interview us all at the same time. So it was a really good get together, tell stories of the olden days where we're going. And Rin's actually building with his son now uh, under his own brand. And, and Rin was the um, custom department at Gibson, you know, really well known in the industry. Uh, and then I stopped in and visited, you know, some of the uh, important larger manufacturers. I got friends at Takamini and Eastman, and I, I uh, shamelessly uh, tried to pitch our strings to them. As everybody knows, you know, we spent years and years developing our strings, and we truly have something. We have a tiger by the tail with with these uh, these advancements in string technology. I shouldn't say advancements; just capturing the the stuff that 
that uh, we didn't get before because our strings were dumbed down to cost 10 or $15. You know, once we put the effort into it, we could make a, a string that sounds better, plays better, lasts longer. So uh, the idea is, is not to sell uh, oodles of strings, it's more to support our own habit of, of great strings for our guitar. And with that, we need to make enough of them to have an economy of scale and get the price down. So wouldn't it be a thrill to have one of those companies use our strings uh, on at least their, their best instruments? So there, there's a self-promoting stuff. Uh, guitar uh, uh, sales, it's always the same phenomena. We've sold our guitars for the next year and a half. We don't go there to make sales. We go there to maintain relationships and uh, 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 hear what people have to say. Um, you know, times like this, when you question, uh, is it worth the expense to go to the NAMM show? We could, you know, in the olden days, you know, renting the house, uh, having the booth um, and uh, uh, the expenses could cost us $23,000 to do. So uh, when the opportunity not going to, during COVID came up, uh, or even today, uh, companies go, uh, geez, I can save a whole lot of money by not going. Maybe we don't need the show anymore. But my answer to that is we go there for the opportunities that we don't know exist until we get there. And then that, that's when you find out the value of the show. Um, uh, new friendships, old friendships, connections in business, the stuff that makes the world go around. So that was there on a smaller scale. And I don't mean to dismiss the efforts of the NAM organization because it was a miracle they pulled that off. Um, the cost of, a, of, of running a convention center is astronomical and you have to book it years and years and years in advance. And that's why we see the NAM show on such odd times. Uh, in June instead of uh, January, et cetera. So though, as you know, you might have noticed the world's upended and NAM is part of it. And I really hope we get to go back next year as exhibitors. How's that for our head full? I, I have to, it, 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 it's good. And it's, it, it takes me back to my years doing unbelievable amounts of trade shows. Um, <laughs> In in it's you know way in, life, yeah. in the yeah in the visual world you know and it just you're you're absolutely right about getting to meet people and seeing people and you know it, it it's the same as music I mean if you play with an act and then you don't see that act for six months when you when they open for you again or you open for them or you're both in the same place it's like the the situation's never changed you know it it it, it, it it's pretty wonderful that that reconnection I do have to know about one product. That was down there. Did yeah. you did you see the stick-on relic guitar, electric guitar stuff? There oh, is. Oh, you mean it's like it's like it's a uh, vinyl. Uh, instant, they, instant already been chewed. Yeah, instant instant wear, and you, it was it was a <laughs> stick-on. Um, you know Eric Garcia, the the guitarist, the jazz guitarist. I, yeah, Eric and yeah, I are, that's that is fun. That's really fun. Yeah, I wanted to see if somebody else had seen that besides him. He 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 got to me and he said, "Oh, you just got to see this. It's a stick on glue." You know, and it's like yeah, thirty years of wear. You know, I I uh, I I miss a lot of that, and it's really too bad. And I certainly don't mean this as any kind of hubris. I'm, you know, I've been at this for half a century, so I, I know a lot, a lot of people just by uh, tenacity and durability. 
um, but I can't get, I can't make progress in the show. You know, I can't, I can't go very far without engaging in a conversation with somebody. And my great? best, especially when we have a stand there to walk the floor and see things, it, it, I, it, I can't move very fast. Um, it's also really exhausting to try to take in uh, people paid a lot of money to attract your attention and they do it with lights and noise and color. And, you, you, you know, as you guys know, pretty soon you've lost 60% of your English vocabulary and you can't keep your balance. I mean, it's really uh, disappointing. So when we, we were in stands at the booth, uh, usually I really limit my forays. I'd have a destination to go to and come back from. And this time I just couldn't make it make much progress so i didn't get to see the really cool stuff well everybody knows that the cellophane musical instrument it takes random light random noise and random color that's right that's right now you know i do you know some of the things when the name show was a little more affordable uh you know there was there was uh, stalwarts like the stump fiddle uh the guy that had a broomstick mm -hmm. with bells and and uh, horn honking and uh, a violin bow that you can do on a string uh, was, you know, are long gone. You know, they've been priced out. I love it. I love it. Um, any memorable meals? That's what I. That's what I remember about everybody talking about Nam was more the the meals that you know everybody yeah. sneak out to, and it was there's was apparently. A great taco place or something like that, that that's just huge but well how well, many you know, yeah how many people do you think were there because boy oh, I, we could grab that attendance it was hard to tell because it was uh, again it was i gauge it by how crowded it was you know uh the the old shows oh i would i would think throughout the day compare it to previous years and know uh uh by percentage, how much, how many more people were there? Uh, this one, I'm going to say, if we were judging it by the old show, was kind of uh, a little below average in attendance. There was a lot of room to move. There was never a time where I was, well, I can take it back. There was a couple of bottlenecks where I had to negotiate between people. But I got really, really good at making, uh, making tracks in a big crowd by uh, knowing how to. <laughs> People that had their mouth open, staring at the ceiling, you know, plodding along. So kind of medium in okay. attendance. But I'll, don't don't forget, I will tell you about some meals. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, let me segue to that. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, as you guys know, I'm not only not a keeper of secrets, but I'm a real proponent for, for open source and information. But I made an exception in some of the places around Anaheim where I did not want the word to get out. So we couldn't go there ourselves. And one of them is uh, Los Sanchez. It's now on uh, um, what, well, I can't remember the name of the road. I want to give credit. Uh, it was at the very dead end of West Avenue uh, from the convention center. And we used to keep this really secret. It was a, it was a pretty small uh, Mexican family restaurant and you ate on tables and kind of a, a, a jerry-rigged patio uh, and the tables were covered in plastic gingham, you know, and uh, the food was uh, both buffet and then they made stuff for you and it was loud and it was full of firemen and policemen and uh, working class people and it was so authentic I couldn't believe it. 
Um, and we take our guests there and, and most people would be astounded uh, and especially people hadn't had really good Mexican food before. Uh, but there were some Scandinavians and Germans couldn't understand that at all. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and you describe, you know, if you describe a, tor a tostada, a taco, and a uh, enchilada to somebody that's never seen them, they all sound like the same thing, you know. <laughs> so we, I took Will there, and it was, it's a, they have a new place. They've been wildly successful, and we went early, uh, but it's, it's traditionally just jam packed now. They've really grown, but it's still a great place to go. It's a really right. good experience and, and really, really good food. Um, and unlike when we first started going to the show, uh, where it catered to uh, Disneyland uh, rather than convention center, uh, a lot of it was kid oriented and uh, franchise and things like that. But there was still a remnant of a uh, remnant of family owned places. One of our favorites was Belial's Big Food, and it was just what it sounded like. It was like mm -hmm. Sunday dinner, and uh, and. Uh, obscene amounts of food and all those places are gone now so you have to go out a little bit to find like good Thai or uh, uh, Italian and things like that so what's new at the shop oh man um, uh, we are uh, we're doing more experiments at once than we usually do uh, but it's a real thrill for me you know my I can't have my rest with uh, uh, stasis and, and okayness. I want to do the next thing. <laughs> and uh, we've got a couple of really great things cooking. We are, we've made great progress in our, um, uh, you know, our string uh, studies, uh, te acoustic technology and so forth, uh, led us to some real advances in wood evaluation. And uh, as you guys know, I've spent a career uh, really learning how to deal with wood, assess its tonal potential when it's in the raw, know how to work it uh, to get consistency, and know how to manipulate it to get uh, uh, custom variations. So uh, uh, be, the farther back you can go in a piece of wood to know what its potential is and how to work it makes it a whole lot easier to choose your wood in the first place or in the case of somebody that doesn't have my 50 years of experience to trust and source that this wood will do what you want when you put it in the guitar. And uh, uh, everything that I sense by feeling, uh, 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 flexing, uh, sight, sound, uh, uh, I taste it if I could, but I do smell it. Um, all those add up to this empirical body of knowledge that tell me how to uh, hand a piece of wood to get the results I want and to guarantee a customer they'll get the guitar they want and their sound. But that's fragile. It's all in my head. And although I've taught others in the company, um, it's, it's almost like talking about philosophy or a concept. Can that person take it and uh, uh, replicate it? Or is it going to be an endless telephone game where it transmogrifies and people assume they know what you're talking about. So uh, I don't need a legacy by any means, but I want the continuity, not only for Santa Cruz Guitar Company to continue to do this, but as an open source for the world, I, I think it would be astounding accomplishment and legacy if the cheapest guitars could be made to sound good. You know, you didn't have to suffer like a crummy boxy 
uh, uh, non-sustaining, non-rich, full creative sound in a guitar, you could get it. And so that that body of knowledge, my career goal has been to uh, uh, translate that to a scientific vocabulary. And that's not something I have, but uh, can be learned. Excuse me. And uh, 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 and I, you know, working with other professionals and scientists to be able to put what I'm doing in a scientific vocabulary and then uh, be able to quantify it through measurement. And we have, uh, we have that these components of information that with my knowledge of what it does, we can put those together and have uh, something that's useful for somebody else to use to uh, either take a piece of wood that's verified or we know ourselves that that's the right wood to use for a guitar, uh, the weight of bracing to put on it, how to carve the bracing and how to get the results you want. So I did all that without taking a breath so I wouldn't forget anything. Um, that is a huge uh, uh, undertaking from the beginning and I had a few false starts. But, we're, we're, but now we, we really have what we need and there's the refinement necessary to put it into a black practical application. What, so what, that's, what, uh, go ahead. What will the end game what do they be? Say? Well, what, no, what, what, what's, what's the end game on this? How, what, 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 what is it, what is it, what does it come out to when, when you're done? Does it come out with some kind of verification process of wood or is it, you know, is it, is it a, is it a book? Is it a video? Is it a machine? Um, the end result is I've been entertained. You know, I have fulfillment. <laughs> I was purposeful. Um, uh, I don't question who I am, what I'm doing, because I'm busy. Um, and uh, I don't mean that to sound silly at all. You know, um, I can trip on, on uh, you know, the outcomes, the legacy, and so forth. I can also take one step at a time towards a goal and wait for the purposes to unfold in front of that. And that's truly the case in this, that. I know it's valuable, I know it's valuable to others, and I know it could change the way that people uh, not only make uh, guitars, but um, uh, drumsticks or uh, other acoustic um, um, undertakings and make the world a better place. That's all I really need is an end game and the application of it will unfold before us. And there's a little bit of that that I have to keep retired proprietary just because the other people involved have, uh, I should have put my, phone in a bucket before I come on a Zoom call. Um, uh, I have other people involved, including uh, some graduate students, that this stuff has to be open source, but it can't be published before it's finished. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I don't mean to be coy or like, oh, well, that's, that's a big secret. I'm just not at liberty to explain that those uh, end goals and purpose, but it's a whole lot bigger than me and it's a whole lot bigger than guitar making. Sometimes you do the science just to do the science. So I quite hear you, Tad. I said, near you. I said sometimes you do the science just to do the science. And that's uh, kind of what I was saying at first. And I wasn't facetious about that. Yeah. You know, I've got a calling, I'm I'm driven towards it. And uh, if I spent too much time uh, uh, assessing the outcome uh, and uh, therefore qualifying whether or not I want to pursue it, I'll go nowhere. Yeah. You know, I well, can overthink anything. <laughs> that, that's what 
pure science really is, is, is you don't approach it knowing what your goal is. You approach it in order to find out where it takes you. Um, I, I thank you. That's really helpful. One of the great symbioses I've had is I, I really, I, I'm fascinated by the scientific method. I honor it. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, I use it in my everyday life. I certainly use it in guitar making, but I'm not a scientist by heart. I'm an artist. And so the symbiosis working with, with science, people that are really into the scientific discipline, the mathematics, uh, the calculus and so forth involved in quantifying sound into a vocabulary. Um, I can't understand what they do, but I can point out things to them that seems to be revelatory that move us along the path towards what we want. And my first start in this was really, uh, people were saying, well, that information's already out there. You just talk to people in acoustic physics. Because there've been a lot of people that had modeled uh, the sound of guitars and come and written thesis, and there you go. But they didn't know what they're looking for, right? Uh, they could show how the guitar moves. They could maybe, uh, recommend how you do that to get a consistent look, but they didn't know what it sounded like. Um, so they weren't giving any information that was useful for a luthier to improve their, uh, their sound of their instruments. And Sounds like people who do their own research. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it's noble. It's, you know, it's good. But it, it, the same people are doing this are the people that are trying to figure out how to um, build a submarine or a Scud missile so it doesn't break apart from vibration you know, at high speed. It's all, all, all great service, but they weren't coming close to uh, uh, the magic of how guitar sounds. And of course, any magic is explainable in physics and uh, uh, science, and it doesn't make any less uh, exciting and valuable. So the, the, again, that symbiosis has been great. Um, it's uh, 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 the scientists that are willing to listen to something that's not within their uh, discipline and an idea that sparks an inquiry that brings us to what we are and this has been you know this has been hit or miss for oh, over 20 years uh, but we've been really intense on it for probably the last eight and uh, I, uh, uh, I realize I'm, I've been a real pill here because I'm not giving concrete information. I just want to give you know, give you the feeling of what this discovery might be like. Now, there's other people in, that I really, really admire in our business that have done similar things and are doing similar things. And their discoveries are equally valid, but they all need to come together in a uh, format that, uh, let's say, uh, a company making uh, you know, thousands of guitars a day uh, getting a price down really low so music can be affordable to people that could, can't pay a big price. Uh, to improve the sound of those guitars and allow those people to be more creative because they're inspired, you know, that's, that's a great thing to do. And that, that's, if anything, is, is probably my final uh, goal and, you know, uh, that I've, uh, I, I've done my part, you know, I've done my paying forward to make the world a better place. And, uh, you know, anybody listening to me for the first time going, Whew, I wonder how that guy runs a business. <laughs> and that sounds out there. But you guys know that that's the driving force behind uh, what Santa Cruz Guitar Company is. Yeah, without question. And, and I think it, it makes a lot of sense to not want to release information until you really have things sussed out. 
I mean, the last couple of years have kind of shown a lot of people that releasing information before you really have things truly understood and sussed out leads to an awful lot of misinformation. Um, and Especially when everybody can publish their own newspaper uh, from home today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, well, that's intriguing. Well, you know, if, if you have questions, go ahead. Otherwise, I'll segue into uh, how this ties into our string uh, string. No, go for it. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go. So the same, you know, the same principles that uh, uh, drive a guitar top work in strings. And I said this earlier, there's way smarter, more resourceful people than me. You know, my favorite string company is Tadario. And those guys are brilliant. They hire brilliant people and they uh, support the arts are just, you know, they're perfect in my eye. Um, and they know their market really, really well. And they make strings for violin players that cost over a hundred bucks for four strings, right? Um, $25 a string. But guitar players are, for whatever reason, expect to pay 10 or 15 bucks and they get what they pay for. Uh, so any big company that knows their stuff would know how to make a better string, um, but there's not, they don't see the market for it. Our motivation wasn't a market. It was just like anything on our guitar to come up with the best we can possibly do. So, you know, we're not satisfied with case manufacturing, gear manufacturing. We design our own and have them made to our specs. And this is what we did with strength. And we and it took dealing with three different um, three different entities, uh, one for the core wire, one for the ball end, and one for the precision wind of the string to get it. And in some senses, I go, why didn't somebody else do that first? We also, but we also had the advantage of the you know acoustic physics background to not have to do a lot of trial and error to get there. So it sounds preposterous, but you know the, the goal is let's make a string that sounds better, plays easier, and lasts longer. And I hadn't even thought of longevity to tell you the truth, um, but that was a byproduct of the precision of manufacturing turned out to be even better uh, for longevity than uh, coating them did. And I might add this, are they coated? Well, it's arguable. It's, a, it's, um, it's exposed to an atmosphere that's anti-corrosive. Does that leave a film on it? I don't know, maybe microscopically, but it's not coated in the sense that people think about. So anyway, we, we, did, um, uh, we focused on tensions because that's truly the only measure gauge is only the measure of the dimension of the string. And that can, that tension can change depending on the manufacturer. So GHS, Diderio, uh, Pyramid, um, uh, Cleartone, they all have different tensions for the same gauge. And that's no way to have consistency in the sound of your instrument. So our, the gauges in ours sometimes are fractional, like it's not a 20, zero, it's not a 22 thousandths or a 23 thousandths, a 22 and a half thousandths. So now we're confident enough in doing our low tension and our mid tension, which are like light and medium, uh, that now we can extrapolate that into a dadgad set, which the world really needed. And that's now uh, available. Uh, we also do a baritone set, not because there's a market for it, just we didn't have a baritone string for our baritone and we needed it. And that's a big breakthrough. Uh, we also are doing a 12 string set, which is another one that seemed to be just kind of a hodgepodge uh, to meet a bizarre consumer uh, a segment. And as you guys know, we take our 12 strings deadly seriously. So uh, 
the, in all that noise, we now have dadgad, baritone, and 12 string sets available. And uh, that's busy. You know, uh, one of Will's uh, jobs is to help us uh, introduce those to the right markets um, so that we can control uh, the demand to some degree. Um, I don't want to be, uh, uh, I don't want to be a manufacturer uh, or a mass marketer. Um, I want to support a string habit for us. And so we want to, uh, we want to control um, how, how much that is. And uh, we'll also would like to um, be able to get paid really well for selling a lot of strings. So I hope that doesn't sound oxymoronic. I haven't. Um... Well, you know, the, the baritone set in particular, I mean, oh, it... it was always amazing to me that you'd go out on the market for baritone strings and you'd find sets that ran from, you know, the, the, the bass strings, just to say that. Uh, anywhere from like 60,000s all the way up to like 110,000s. And it would be like, you know, are, are they pulling oh, off of a suspension bridge somewhere? Um, You're right. And, it, and it's very much like that analogy I had between uh, science trying to model a guitar's sound. Oh, great, you did that. But how do you use that to make the guitar sound better? They didn't know what the guitar sounded like and they couldn't get there. Same thing with the strings. Unless you experience playing like a baritone or a bass, or an un, you know an alternative stringed instrument, uh, you, you know you just take a guess at those and you and you try gauges. But unless you balance those tensions, you don't get the potential of that instrument. And yeah. you know when you do a baritone right, it just sounds like a piano. Yeah. Um, uh, we've had uh, a couple of people. I'm thinking of uh, you know uh, Scott Law. Uh, and a really uh, busy performing studio artist that uh, play a baritone and they're writing a new repertoire. You know, they're inspired. They're doing something completely different, even going in different genres of music because the voice is so inspiring. You know, uh, it's pretty remarkable. I'm surprised there's not more demand for them. Well, but again, that, that, how many people can afford, you know, a, a good guitar and then try something new? Yeah, I think I, what what. We heard back from Joe Summers, who was our last uh, one of our last podcasts, is um, he got some of the dadgad strings and it, it truly blew his mind how how much better his guitar sounded. And that, oh, yeah, that's, yeah that, that's unsolicited. But um, but he, that's great to hear. He loved I'm a little it. insulated sometimes from that feedback. Yeah. Well, he, and the I was gonna say the baritone set is the same way. I mean, I think a lot of people, they get their first baritone and you would go online on the forums and people were recommending these sets of strings that were almost impossible to play. And they didn't That's take into problem. account the scale length or the tuning. It was like, oh, you know, just put these really heavy strings on and, and try different things. Um, and it's frustrating um, to, to experience that. Um, that's, and to that's, finally have that's a set of strings that really works, especially since, you know, your baritones, the 27-inch scale, I think, is really uh, just a wonderful compromise, um, you know, without getting too sticking out there trying to, to play something. Well, it, it just doesn't work. You know, if you look at the acoustic basses or the baritones that are out on the market, it's like... Two, you know, two people got together, a player and uh, a designer, and they compromised. And so most of them have the bridge in a really 
inefficient position, not an optimal position. <clears throat> you know, as you shorten the scale length, you can either go north or south, right? And if you go south, you move the bridge towards the non-resonating part of the tail of the body. And you saw a lot of acoustic bases where the bridge is only a few inches from the tail. And they, those had to be plugged in. Um, in uh, uh, starting with the bridge in the right spot, um, you can only, you know, there, there's only, you can't go any further south. You have to go north. And that's going to be by, by joining the body at some unconventional fret, not the 12th, not the 14th, you know, uh, that length. And, and seriously, a longer length and more tension, maybe that's manageable for somebody who wants to pursue it further, but it isn't for me, you know. Um, uh, uh, the secret to success in getting close to perfection is asking the next question, making the next improvement and the next and the next and the next. And the, and the 98% is a pretty good goal. Then that other 2% might take you a thousand times longer to get than the first 98%. And, uh, uh, or maybe I'm just smart and not smart enough, I don't know, but that 27 inch scale, uh, that's as far as I've taken it so far. Phew. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the it's, one, you know, yeah. <laughs> you have, you have a set of strings for most every instrument you make. I, I, I don't know how many acoustic basses you're making anymore, but. We don't um, promote it. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I just want to, I, sorry to interrupt you. I want to answer that question. We don't promote it. Um, we don't promote our FTC. Uh, and a couple of models that are really hard to find, our guitar styles really hard to find because they require so much handwork and sometimes my own work uh, that we cannot guarantee a delivery date. And that's just bad business. So uh, we, we will make our true acoustic bass uh, on request. We just don't beg it, beg for it. And they're, uh, they're really fun. Right, right. Really no, that they are. But I'm just saying that you've now got basically your own strings for virtually every instrument you make, unless you're missing something. I mean, is there then, another set of strings you have in the back of your head that you would like to make? That, yeah, uh, um, I want to make an octave mandolin. Uh, uh, might sell two in a lifetime, but um, I'm really fascinated with that. You know, <laughs> I have a history with working with uh, mandolins and carved-topped instruments. And uh, uh, it's just bandwidth, you know, you can't do it all. Um, and I didn't know that uh, in my youth, you know, I was, I was, I thought I could make every guitar possible due to the Tour de France and whatever you got. Um, and be, be the next Bob Dylan, but I kind of focused a little bit more as time goes on. <laughs> so uh, the octave mandolin is one, mandolins were, were really serious with us for a while. Uh, but, uh, you know, due to uh, circumstances that got under control, uh, while we were trying to develop our mandolin, uh, there's a few other companies that came in with their own, and I just felt the opportunity was lost. It seemed like me too. Um, but also I felt that was a, 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 you know, a dilution of our real purpose, uh, which is the acoustic guitar. That doesn't mean that we won't um, offer some version of an amplified guitar in the future. I hesitate electric because somebody thinks in terms of uh, a Stradaratelli or a Les Paul. And that's not what we'd make, but uh, what you can be sure when we do that is going to be innovative. And with that, it's either going to be wildly successful or nobody will buy it, but it'll be different. So we're working the strings. Yeah, thank you. So we're working the strings first. 
And uh, who knows, we may have electric guitar strings before we actually have, you know, I'm saying an amplified guitar. Um, uh, and there's a lot there. So let me, you know, let me uh, give a quick acoustics uh, analogy here. One of the problems with, with uh, amplifying an acoustic guitar, everybody wants exactly the same thing. I want the unique, true voice of my guitar. I want it louder. Um, and that's, uh, for our technology to date, that's unattainable because uh, the um, uh, uh, Fishman, Larry Fishman's analogy was, um, you know, okay, here's an opera singer. Let's, let's amplify her voice so the whole audience can hear. Here, swallow this microphone. <laughs> You're not getting what, what's happening. Inside the guitar is not what you want to hear. You want to hear what happens uh, as it unfolds out in front of it. And, uh, uh, but technology is going so far, so fast. Um, uh, Will worked in, in a company that tried to take or did successfully take the, the square cold notes of digital uh, and, and round them off <laughs> my terminology and make it sound more like uh, uh, a real analog, right? And uh, that's that today, the most of the uh, focus in amplification, electronics and so forth when it comes to sound is trying to get it more, sound more natural. Isn't that, that ironic? Uh, so we're kind of coming at it from uh, the other end. Um, and uh, uh, again, I don't have enough to, to tease you with that other than to say, I bet you'll see electric strings before you'll see our amplified guitar. Um, there's some other ones that fascinate me, uh, but I'll, I'll never do it in my lifetime. Uh, and I don't even know I'd have the, uh, the wherewithal to do it. The violin is like, a, uh, I, I revere the violin, you know, it's history, it's dynamics, uh, the magic of it. And here's something that's so bound by tradition, everyone looks exactly the same, uh, and yet it's changed the world. Um, but I need another few lifetimes before I go there. So, I, so far, that's what's on my mind. Yeah, yes. I actually did go to Cremona um, to the, the music festival there, and I happened to be there when they had the uh, violin, viola, bass, judging at the uh, uh, museum, the Stradivari Museum. Isn't that incredible? It's a, yeah, you're absolutely correct. You can walk down past hundreds and hundreds of violins that from 30 or 40 feet back all look identical because they have to meet very specific specifications and as you get closer and closer to them you realize every single one is unique yeah um, that, that's so amazing. inspiring did you get a chance to see the guitars and mandolins when you were in there yes yes oh god you okay. know there is nothing new <laughs> <laughs> you know sound ports fan frets arm bevels you know uh headless instruments you name it it's there in history you well, know? and if you really want to see something interesting they have sets of drawers with most of stradivari's uh, toolbox Jeez, all laid out that. under plastic and you yeah. look at how crude and how poorly made so many of those tools were they're now, handmade yeah they're handmade but i'm gonna make a violin also... i'm not gonna make an art piece of my tool. Yeah, well, and granted that these tools were used to build probably hundreds and hundreds of instruments and went through the hands of apprentices yeah. and whatever else, but still 
you see how simple they were and how crude they were. And yet they created these amazing music. I, I, I so inspired by that, you know, I, I already talked about the band, the violin, uh, but the, the, the elaborate stuff that was done all by hand. Uh, of course they had their knack and so forth, but the innovation uh, uh, in the guitar and the mandolin, people weren't bound by that tradition, the violin. And you saw crazy stuff. Most of it kind of worked. Um, some of it was brilliant. And there's only a few things that like, what were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> we, and we had to rush through uh, because um, we wanted to stop. There's, a, there's like a, a guy that's probably 108 that comes out once a day and does a, I think a 12 minute uh, solo on a Strad. Um, and you sit, you, you sit in this little thing, it's like a church, you know, a small uh, uh, room and with great acoustics. And he comes out and doesn't say anything, he just plays for 12 minutes and then goes back and puts it in his case. And I wanted to make sure I hit that. That was a thrill. I missed that. I missed that. Yeah, let's, that. let's go into Mecca. Yeah. Yeah, we walked wow. down the we walked down the street there, and I and I looked in a store window, and it was um, uh, you know uh, uh, Lukey violins L U C C I, and I went, God, I wonder if they have anything to do with the Lukey meter. This is this device that measures velocity going through wood, and apparently is something that uh, violin builders use. And we went in, and it was the son of the guy, and he was delighted to talk to us. And things have changed so much in my career. Violin makers would like gag at the idea of talking to a, a guitar. Violin makers would gag at the idea of talking to guitar makers because all they did is waste good wood, right? And uh, with the innovations and also the open openness that we've had uh, uh, in the last uh, decades, um, people pay pay attention, both uh, violin makers and classical makers. They're starting to share a little bit more. So since we're there, what's, what, what's happening in the shop? What's happening in the shop? Uh, uh, let's see. We had, uh, you know, one thing is there's not an elephant in the room uh, with uh, Carolyn that's worked with me for 12 years. It's like a, you know, what an integral part of, of Santa Cruz. Uh, She's been here for like uh, you know a quarter of our of our run to date, and uh, uh, she you know she befriended, uh, 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 supported, loved so many people in the industry uh, that you know people ask me constantly, what will you do without her? And uh, I, I want to address that. I want to say that Carolyn is irreplaceable, you know, for who she is. Uh, what she represents, her values, and so forth. I, I'm so rich from having worked with her. At the same time, uh, you know, she 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 runs deep. She's got a lot of other stuff going on, uh, uh, primarily her music. And is and I love her enough to let her go. Not that it was my choice, <laughs> but I love her enough that that that's what she needs to be doing and pursuing that. So what to answer? What am I going to do without Carolyn? 
Um, well, we'll, we continue to do what we do. And one of the gifts Carolyn gave me is uh, she, she let me know uh, at least eight months ahead uh, that this was inevitable. And um, I could prepare for it. And with that, uh, you know, I could pray and wait for inspiration and hope somebody came to the door for me. Uh, because I have no idea how I would search in the in the world. You know, how do you advertise for somebody to replace Carolyn? And how many people would you talk to? And how many people would you work to for a year, uh, for a year before you got heartbroken and disappointed? So anyway, uh, as my prayers, uh, 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 Will popped up, and Will was described as, um, uh, you know, like, oh, what a genuine guy! What a great what a nice guy you know it's it's uh, interesting he's a salesman uh at the same time so i begin the conversation with will and uh uh will doesn't claim to be a replacement uh to carolyn neither do i as as we're all unique and different but what was wonderful with will coming in is i didn't have to drill into him uh give more than you get uh, uh, treat everybody like they're a customer, whether they're telemarketer or not, on and on. Will told me all those things in his, in his opening interview. And uh, that gave me the confidence that I knew not only would we survive, uh, but that we, we keep our momentum and continue forward. Because one of the things that Will understood is we don't sell our guitars. Our, our, our guitar sales are a byproduct of our relationships with other people. And uh, uh, it's it's works really well in good to okay times. Uh, people trust us. Uh, they buy from us. Uh, our guitars speak for themselves. They sell well, and all is good. Uh, in really bad times, it's a disadvantage because people can be, uh, conflate um, uh, being nice with gullibility, and they might uh, they might choose to. Uh, uh, cut us off before somebody means salesman. If you look at the big companies, you know, Martin Taylor Gibson, they've got professional salespeople that bite, don't let go, right? So they can intimidate a small store into, into dropping other lines at bad times. But the thing is, the bad times are this big and the okay times are this big. So we continue with our philosophy that can only come from uh, genuine, you know, genuine values. Um, we're gonna be okay. And I didn't have to teach Will that he knows it coming in. So uh, you, you can tell I'm struggling here. How can I say, oh, Carolyn, no big deal. Yeah, Carolyn's a huge deal. Uh, but um, beautifully, we're composed of a lot of big deals, you know, and, uh, and we're also resilient. Um, my job, you know, my job is to, is, you know, I'm less of a guitar maker today than I used to be. So my jobs become managing the thrill of expectations and other people's uh, hopes and dreams for their guitars uh, before, during, and after. And um, uh, in the case of uh, Will or Carol, anybody, managing people's uh, ambitions, hopes, and dreams. And sometimes that, that doesn't include us anymore. So it's kind of a fun, uh, 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 merry-go-round. No, that's that circuit. It's a it's a parade of events to go through here, and luckily the foundations of the values of Santa Cruz is resilient enough to move with those things at the same time. Was there any diplomacy in that, or did I 
<laughs> did, I, did I diss anybody? It sounded great. I was going to say, you know, Carolyn really was a kind of a foundational element of the company and replacing a part of your foundation does put a lot of strain on other components and other parts of things, but you know, it can be done. It just takes a little time and, and a little bit of, of patience and, and usually it means you end up with a stronger thing when you're done. So, boy, that's well put. Um, well, you know, COVID uh, kicked our ass and, yeah. and made us stronger. We didn't die. But again, you know, Carolyn had the, had the grace to uh, allow me to, to do this right. Um, the only thing she asked is I didn't announce it uh, beforehand. So it was a surprise to many and even a surprise internally, uh, but it allows us to, you know, like, like you said, we didn't have a block taken out of our foundation. We were allowed to uh, uh, secure that foundation before she went. So, so really the, the big question, does Will have a good eggnog recipe? Because that's going to be really hard to replace. Carolyn taught him everything she knows. Including okay. at Edna's reg, egg, reg, eggnog recipe. <laughs> All right, perfect, perfect. A, a Christmas we'll party favorite. Yeah. Yes, we'll look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Maybe, maybe oh, Will has a family recipe that he can bring to the uh, Christmas party too, or 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 something from from um, Whole Earth Catalog. <laughs> yeah, you know something. You know, Whole Earth Catalog catalog advertised the first book on uh, uh, guitar repair to start with and then they actually had a book on classical guitar making and that was one of my inspirations way back then uh, I remember uh, making a pilgrimage to visit a guy uh, based on reading about him in the whole of catalog um, if time allows today uh, you had asked about new woods and I, I can spend a minute on that yeah, please. We yeah. love hearing so, about new woods. Um, Fire it in, up. In my spare time, I've been working with um, uh, advancements in wood processing. You know, I have a wood problem. And I, uh, I disguise it by pretending I'm doing science here. Um, is uh, we, There's some woods we just gave up using. Uh, Ziracote, uh, um, Spuciana, which people know as Amazon. Um, uh, black and white ebony, African ebony, white ebony, exotic ebony uh, for sides and back because we just couldn't control the truck cracking. And sometimes it would show up after the guitar was completed, everything was fine, it would go out in the field. And in general, we don't warranty cracks because we know they're not going to happen because we treat woods properly. In this case, the cracks would happen after market, and that's just horrible disappointment for uh, players. So um, uh, I, there's a kindred spirit that wanted to get into the wood business, really knowledgeable as a woodworker. And we worked together to develop uh, uh, both uh, uh, drying and milling uh, that, that uh, not only we can use, that, that they can run their own business. And so we developed a process uh, using a, a, a commercially available vacuum kiln and then uh, some expensive consultation from a guy, including a nuclear scientist that, that uh, uh, had some applications for drying processes. And what this has allowed us to do is to stabilize these really weird woods and guarantee them. And I say weird because they're, you know, most woodworkers avoid them. You see uh, these things on the market now, 
and I don't mean to dismiss any builder, but uh, you know, uh, the caveat is uh, those kind of woods are, are prone to danger. And um, uh, uh, we know woods like, uh, let's, let me take you this, this is a good announcement. Don't use flamed redwood on a steel string guitar top. It will pull apart. And that's uh, just the physics of it. It's, uh, it's not like flame maple or flame koa. Uh, the grain, the run out goes, goes like this and if the flame it goes straight up and down and it's a perforation and that'll pull apart. Um, and I, I see guitars on the internet with that, it's beautiful stuff. So anyway, with these woods now, we can not flame red, but the rest of them, we can, we can uh, even uh, uh, vacuum kiln a block and, and stabilize it and then cut that uh, and have the proper stability and moisture content. So again, those woods that are really, really beautiful. Uh, you know, uh, Ziracote, it looks like uh, all the beautiful grain you ever see in Brazilian rosewood. Um, uh, really fantastic look. And we'll be able to reintroduce that and use that again. Uh, Spruciana is probably, no, I'm not even gonna say that. It's, it's you know, there's no alternative to anything. But Spruciana is a much more affordable wood than Brazilian. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sister to it. It's, it's of that nature, of that sound. And for some people, that's a really nice alternative. And uh, again, we'll be able to use that. The, um, I don't have any samples to show you, the black and white ebony, um, exotic ebony uh, that we did, we stopped building with, we'll be able to do those now too. So it opens a new palette of uh, uh, not only cosmetic colors, but tone also. So that's, um, that's great to have that breakthrough. The, 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 uh, I'll say this qualified statement, we can get any wood anybody wants with these uh, qualifications. One, it has to be a, a tone, it has to sound good, um, uh, work well and have stability, but also that uh, we have to pay the price for it and it has to be, have a provenance of responsible harvest. But we're, you know, we're so well connected because we're so old and, and we've done this for so long that we know how to track down uh, most anything. And uh, uh, that kind of, um, settles the question of what kind of woods can we get for guitar making. And with our experience, we know what woods aren't appropriate. So there's a mouthful on wood. So um, are you doing anything more with domestic uh, woods? Is, is that still it's, a- You know, the, the idea of sustainability is of course dear to our heart. And uh, a lot of domestic woods that would be really appropriate for a quality guitar sound are, don't grow big enough to get um, uh, the eight inch piece you need for half a back, you know, because we're talking about book matched here. Uh, the, the, the really usable parts of the tree might be six, seven inches. You can make a really tiny guitar, uh, but that's not what we're looking for. So here's, here, I'll make this, risk this statement. Um, uh, we're just waiting for a larger company to introduce like a four-piece top, a four-piece back um, to the marketplace to really uh, introduce it with marketing prowess to give it credibility, and I'm ready to go. Um, uh, we go back in history, there's lots of uh, four-piece spruce tops. Pianos are made out of four-piece sections, 
of spruce. And the, the um, amount of material to make available, uh, the amount of uh, protecting of the resources, it'd be incredible. The only reason we don't make a 40-piece top or back is uh, market perception, or let's call it the Martin Standard. Uh, that, that same as straight green Brazilian, some people think is called B.O. It's not, it's the Martin standard. They chose to do it that way and th people think it's better. So uh, four piece uh, or six piece for that matter would open up a world of stuff with domestic wood. And I'd love to be a part of that. But even though, I mean, who doesn't know Santa Cruz? A lot of people, uh, because we don't have a loud enough horn to blow you know, to, to get the word out on that. Uh, the people that do know, we can give credibility to, to things because we use them, but we need a larger bullhorn to uh, make a change in that thinking. And uh, then there's gorgeous stuff. Look at this. Um, this is uh, uh, a piece of Modesto ash. And mm -hmm. when I was a kid, as they were building uh, post-World War II suburbs, uh, down in the San Joaquin Valley. For whatever reason, the developers planted a Modesto ash tree in everybody's front yard, right? And they're just now reaching the end of their lives. Um, so these trees that are now, uh, oh, 70 years old, 75 years old, uh, and so forth. Um, and I'm looking into this, it's very oak-like. It's not ash in the sense of a uh, 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 swamp ash or electric body like that. And I'm just fascinated with it. And so I'm looking into uh, checking with tree services and so forth and see if we can get somebody to bucket up into maybe six foot sections yeah. instead of, you know, uh, uh, um, firewood. Yeah, thing. That's it, exciting. It's interesting that you say that, that no matter how great Santa Cruz's reputation is amongst people who know what you do, if you took the entire 40 years worth of output that Santa Cruz Guitar has done, you're just starting to approach what, about one week's output from some of these individual big names? Oh, for, for our whole career, you're for your whole career, right. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So. <laughs> you're right. And that's what I was talking about, the, the size of the, of the horn or the bullhorn that you right. speak um, we, you know, I want to say probably monthly, there's somebody that comes to us with a, this, I'll give a composite story. You know, I've collected guitars, you know, I've been collecting guitars for 40 years and I have the best of everything. And I just heard about Santa Cruz. Where did you guys come from? You know, like, um, uh, are you, are you like in on this boutique movement? <laughs> you know, and we go, and it's like, who been a lot of years since I had to explain what we were up to and who we were, but it, it, it still goes on. And that's, that's just how it will be. Yeah. Hmm. Richard, you've been amazingly gracious with your time today. Will, thank you very much. Wonderful to meet you. Yes, Will, nice. it's really nice to have you. Thank come you, on Will. Wonderful to meet you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I'll end with, I'm a, a, a Bigfoot believer awesome <laughs> yeah, i'm a total bigfoot believer and there is a show on that they were in northern california and they stumbled into an old train tunnel and i swear there were so many billets in there of redwood i was just looking at the thing going oh <laughs> wonder what's in here you know 
So I reached. Yeah, mine mine got real big real fast. So I'm reaching out to the show and see if they'll divulge where that was. Because <laughs> it's just in Northern Cal, and it was just you know just in the, they just stumbled on it. Road so, trip. Yeah, road trip. Oh, that's sure. great. I Is got it? one. I I I would love to hear what you find out about that. Of course, let me show you one treat. Um, I'll tell you, Eric's blown away with his new with his new uh, mahogany. That's great. Um, blown, you know, blown you, away with it. You guys know this, but let me burden everybody else with it. Um, mahogany is really important to me. In fact, I've made a career goal of trying to get it the respect it deserves as a tone with. The only reason that mahogany was uh, uh, considered cheaper is because it, it was a more readily uh, accessible wood. The tree grows like a big piece of cake and uh, furniture panels and so forth way back. Uh, even before Martin, um, the the real expensive stuff and the highly decorated stuff would have been made out of rosewood. Uh, the, the stuff made out of mahogany was less decorative and they sold it for less, right? Had nothing to do with quality. And when it came to guitars, uh, mahogany is not an inferior tone wood to anything. So I've been trying my best to uh, uh, make sure people take it seriously, which is what the 29 series was all about, uh, which we'll have to go into, Will. Um, and uh, uh, that, it, it, when we can get the good stuff, uh, it's still one of my favorite tone woods. And I say the good stuff because, uh, uh, you know, once a, a natural environment's been harvested and there's more sunlight, things go faster, less dense, and less tonally uh, uh, efficient. And so getting old, old uh, growth mahogany is just a delight. I cannot help but going off on wood tangents. Do you Thank like you, the, your story. <laughs> well, you just, you just, uh, I just keep my eyes out for tables. You yeah. Know? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Richard this little piece of redwood is, uh, comes from the Western Flyer Steinbeck's boat. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I got some bigger pieces, not enough to do a, a guitar top, but, oh, there we go. It's got that really nice. Wow. Uh, uh, black smoky stuff in it and uh the, the it was redwood siding and uh it was almost derelict it almost sank and uh people uh raised some money to restore it and i just got one one or two planks from it and that's not going to do anything but that's how much how troubled i am about woods well we wish you the best afternoon um possible um, hey, you made it better yeah, and, and um, you know, keep going with that wood problem because we uh, we all benefit from it. I love this, and I'm grateful to both you guys for, for your service to guitar players and, and to us. And sometimes I don't know what I'm thinking until I get a chance to tell you guys. So it helps me organize. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, you Richard. Do, do. Thanks, guys, buddies. Thanks, Will. You guys have Better. a great Thank day. you, guys. Thanks. Peace out. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, 
bell or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar. <laughs>